Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm excited to be joined today by Dan Gingis, customer experience keynote speaker and best-selling author. Dan, welcome to the show. So great to be here. Very excited to have this conversation with you today. So you're here today to talk about how brands can stand out from the crowd by creating remarkable experiences that keeps their best customers coming back and bringing their friends. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? My pleasure. My name is Dan Gingis, and uh, I hail from Chicago in the United States and uh, spent 20 years in corporate America at pretty large companies, Fortune 200 companies, uh, Discover Financial Services is a credit card company. Uh, Humana is in healthcare and McDonald's you've probably heard of. Uh, and I spent most of my career as a marketer until I evolved into customer experience. And today I sort of sit at the intersection of CX and marketing. I like to say that marketing's in my head and CX is in my heart. And uh, I really focus on how to use customer experience as a competitive advantage because when we do it right, as you mentioned, we get our customers talking about us in a positive way. Uh, if we're a B2B company, we get referrals, and that's how we grow our business. Fabulous. Can't wait to dive into that with you in more detail shortly. Um, now, as traditional on the show, to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where, as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and what impact that had on you as a consumer. Sure. So one of my favorite stories uh, recently came when uh, the candy company Skittles uh, finally made a decision to reverse a previous decision. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if this was global or just in the U.S., but uh, their, pa- their package of five different flavors had been the same flavors forever. And they made a decision a few years ago to get rid of the green ones, uh, which were lime, and replace them with different green ones, which were green apple. Now, this created a big uproar because for some people like me, artificial green apple is one of the worst flavors in the world and don't want to go near it. Other people seem to be happier with the change, but they did get a lot of pushback. A couple of years later, they decide to reverse the decision and bring back lime. One of the things that they did that I thought was absolutely brilliant was they reached out to every single person, almost 160,000 people on Twitter who had commented about the loss of the lime flavor and uh, sent a personal apology with a, a video that you know, from their, their head of marketing that I think was an actor, uh, but a, a personal apology for making this mistake and then linking to a, a coupon to get a free bag of Skittles. They also did an outbound campaign in which they showed this video of 160,000 names scrolling really fast of everybody that had complained. 
I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and it made me love the brand even more uh, because they were paying attention and they were listening to customers, and they were not afraid to go back on a previous decision because maybe it wasn't a good decision. So I thought for so many reasons, uh, it did a really great job uh, engaging and, and bringing their their customers into the fold. I call that personalization at scale there going through 160,000 names and sending them a personalized video. I think that's, I think that's great. Uh, do you by any chance have a sweet tooth? I'm, I'm guessing by the story that you just told there that you might be guilty of that. Uh, I am definitely guilty of that. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Okay, cool. So let's dive into the content for today then. Um, now in your book, The Experience Maker, you talk about the fact that um, paid marketing strategies are no longer enough in today's market. And uh, as you put it, there's another holy grail that businesses should be striving for. Could you kind of talk us through that in a little bit more detail? Sure. I sort of imagine uh, an archery target. And if you've ever seen an archery target, there's lots of holes in it from where the, the arrows have hit. And only some of the holes are at the bullseye. And then as the rings go out, you see more and more and more and more holes. And then, of course, it doesn't even uh, account for the ones that missed the target entirely. This is the metaphor that I use when I think about marketing. And that every customer wakes up every single day. We get hundreds of, of marketing messages aimed at us. And very few of them hit the bullseye. A few do, but very few. A lot of it is just noise. And so I don't, I believe that we don't need more marketing. What we actually need are more experiences because experiences are what people remember. Experiences are what people talk about. And the holy grail that any marketer will tell you is word of mouth. That's what everybody wants. The problem is they think they can get there by creating the next viral video, which of course is a total crapshoot, right? Instead, I think that using customer experience is the way that you get to word of mouth marketing. We know that people share only two kinds of experiences, really good ones and really bad ones. Nobody shares an ordinary or average experience. So if we can create a really good experience for them, our customers will share it. They'll talk to people about it. And yeah, maybe you'll get lucky and, and one of your customers will have a million followers on social media, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is that we have people talking about us to friends, family, colleagues at work, um, and talking about us on social media so that other people can see it as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting what you say there about the fact that people only talk about exceptional experiences or, or really bad experiences. I suppose, although you don't want to deliver bad experiences, if you get people talking about it, I guess, at the very least as a brand, you can kind of learn from that and, and become better from that. It's those, as you said, those mediocre experiences that, that don't really kind of give you anything really. Exactly. And most of the experiences that we have as consumers or as B2B buyers are mediocre. They're not worth talking about. And that's why when we can go a step above and create the kind of experience that I like to use the word remarkable because it literally means worthy of remark, worthy of discussion. If we can bump up our experiences to become remarkable, we can absolutely stand out uh, from the crowd and especially from our competition because our competition is almost always average or mediocre. Yeah, we had another guest on a while ago talking about one of the biggest blockers that brands have is apathy. So people just kind of, you know, engaging with your brand and just sort of shrugging their shoulders and not really thinking about it again. And it's 
to your point there, it's about creating experiences that help you get above apathy and actually start to make you more memorable and, and talkable as well. Absolutely. I mean, I would argue that apathy breeds apathy. And so if, you know, so many companies are so focused on bringing on new customers that they forget to focus on the customers they already have, the ones that are paying the bills, the ones that are keeping the lights on and paying your salary. We spend so much money on sales and marketing, and then we get all these customers and we spend almost no money on them. And I've never understood that because all of the stats show that it is way more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to keep an existing one. But we can't keep an existing one through apathy. We have to make some effort with the customer. Uh, and so when when companies are apathetic towards their customers, it's not surprising that the customers are going to be apathetic back to the brand. Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess what you were talking about there about, you know, it's more expensive to acquire customers than it is to keep customers. I guess there's also a, another part of that is it you want the right kind of customers because serving the wrong kind of customers can be expensive. But what you were saying there around word of mouth this, I guess the reality is you're only going to be referring people to a brand that you think is going to be relevant for them that's going to enrich their life. And so I guess the other benefit of word of mouth is it's not only organic, but it's also bringing in the right type of customers as well. Sure, because if I'm the right type of customer, chances are I have friends that are going to be the right kind of customer or I have colleagues at work, right? And and chances are that I know what the right kind of customer looks like because I'm already, you know, a loyal uh a customer of the brand. Yeah, makes complete sense. Great. So I think um, one of the biggest challenges for teams internally is actually building the case for customer experience so they can actually get their superiors to buy into it and, and invest in it. What advice would you give to those teams to be able to build a successful case for customer experience? Uh, two things. First of all, I think from uh, a strategy perspective, Customer experience should not be looked at as a multi-year, multi-million dollar transformational project. Because if it is, then it's just going to get prioritized against other multi-year, multi-million dollar transformational projects. And it's going to probably lose because everybody wants to do the next innovative technology thing. Let's focus on chat GPT and instead of customer experience. I look at customer experience instead as a series of little things. Now, it's an endless series. You have to enjoy the, the journey because there is no destination. But when you look at it as a series of little things, it becomes way more approachable, both at the senior level because it doesn't cost as much money and all throughout the organization because we really want every single employee believing that they are involved in customer experience, no matter what their title or their job description is. Even if you work in accounting and you never speak to a customer, chances are you're making decisions that affect the customer, which means you're in the customer experience business. So I think that's one of the ways uh, that you can get the attention is to not make it feel like it is such a big, you know, expensive project, but instead that it's a series of little things which is more approachable. The second thing is we have to tie it down to the bottom line because that's what C-suite executives care about. Show me the money. That's the end of the day. And so with customer experience, it becomes about tying it to important metrics like customer retention or the reverse of that would be churn rate, right? How many, what percentage of these customers that we're spending so much money to acquire are actually staying with us? And what would it look like if we could improve that number? Usually with most companies, it would look like a lot of money. 
That's one thing. Another thing is that as we have happier customers, and we've mentioned this already, they start to provide referrals. They talk about us, which means that each customer begets more customers. And we can quantify that. And if we know the value of a new customer and we see how many customers our existing customers are bringing in, we can put a dollar value on that or a, a, a pound or a euro value on it, however uh, you want to talk about it. Uh, and then the third piece is, is that when we do customer experience really well, we reduce costs in the form of customer service. After all, nobody needs to call customer service if the customer experience is really great. We only call when there's a problem. And we know that calls are expensive. We want to reduce phone calls. And in order to do that, we make a better experience. So when we can tie these things down to the metrics that C-suite executives actually care about, then we have a better chance of getting the budget and the resources that we're looking for. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the fact that you need to be able to speak in the C-suite's language around this, like talking about it in a way that's, that's going to resonate with them. Um, I loved your idea about kind of breaking it down into smaller chunks, because I think that just makes it easier for everyone rather than thinking about one huge project, actually sort of like breaking it down that way. Um, and to your point as well, it's an ongoing process. If you want to be a customer centric business, there's no kind of end goal to it. You don't get to customer advocacy and that's the end of it. You need to keep delivering those amazing experiences to keep, you know, those advocates coming back and, and creating more advocates as well. Yeah. And, and when you look at it in these smaller chunks, I, I truly believe that it can be fun. And it can be something that you get people excited about doing. I mean, I, I tell a story in my book about when I worked at uh, Discover Card, the credit card company, and we were doing some things with the website. And what we found was there were a lot of little nitpicky, small annoyances that were happening. Uh, you probably heard the expression death by a thousand paper cuts. I think that's kind of what we were doing to customers. Nothing really big, but just small annoyances. And so I ended up bringing on a single coder from the IT department because there was no way that I could get, that I could put a project together that would compete against all of the other massive IT projects. So I got a single coder and all they did for two weeks was fix little things, about a hundred different things on the website. That year, and this is not a coincidence, that year, Discover Card won the JD Power Award for customer experience for the very first time. It took it away from American Express, which is, of course, a wonderful international brand. Uh, and the reason I know that wasn't coincidental is that at the time, 60% of the JD Power score was the website experience. And we knew that we were putting these barriers in front of people or a little annoyances, and we just got rid of all of them. And when I saw that happen, and by the way, not just a third-party validation in terms of a reward, but we were measuring calls into the call center. So we would see, I would call this a, a promotion chart, because I would always, this is the kind of chart you always want to put in front of the CEO. Here's the amount of calls that we are seeing on this topic. And then when we make the change, boom, they just fall off a cliff. People stop calling. Why? Because the problem's gone. And so we've saved all of this money. We've improved satisfaction. We've won a big award. And all we did was fix a bunch of little stuff. So it definitely, and, and then when you have a project like that, that you that's a great leaping off point, right? Because now you've demonstrated to the organization that this works. I think what that also does as well, that example there, it crystallizes another point that you made earlier to me. It's 
customer experience, I think, is about being proactive, whereas customer service is reactive. So you're kind of dealing with the problem after it's happened, whereas customer experience getting that right it's all about getting in front of the problem so as you said before you can reduce those pressures on your customer service teams absolutely i think that's very well said and um and and yes i mean there's a there's a quote in the book i wish i said this but i didn't some other person said it there's a quote that says i'm paraphrasing essentially that customer service happens when customer experience breaks so if we have a perfect customer experience no one's ever going to call us now, perfection might be a little bit too high of a bar, but we can see that there's definitely a connection there. And you're absolutely right. Once something goes wrong, all we can do is react to it. Uh, but when we're proactive about both fixing the bad and improving the mediocre, right? Because we still want to take those average experiences, those ordinary experiences, and make them extraordinary. And that's the that's proactively creating positive experiences as well as proactively removing negative experiences. Absolutely. Um, now, in the book, you talk about what was called the WISE model. Um, and I'd love for you to go into this in a little bit more detail, because I think this will really help paint a picture nicely for the audience around how to as you put it, become the experience maker in your business. And there's also some really good examples in there of businesses that are executing this really well. I'd love for you to share that as well. Sure. So the wise model is meant to make people wise to the power of customer experience. And wise stands for witty, immersive, shareable, and extraordinary. And I'll walk through those very quickly. And the book is full of examples, real life examples of each one of these. And they can be used individually or they can be stacked. So you can have experiences that are more than one of these four things. So witty is not about being uh, humorous or a stand-up comedian. We know that humor can be a little bit dangerous, something that one person finds funny, another person might find offensive. But witty is about being clever. It's using language to your advantage and it is refusing to be boring. So basically having more fun with all communications. Every time we communicate with somebody, it could be a physical sign. It could be the homepage of your website. It could be a welcome letter. It could be an invoice. It could be a legal disclaimer. Anytime that we are communicating, we have a chance to make it more fun, more human, more interesting. And that's what Witty is really about. It's about always thinking through, a marketer might call it the brand voice, but it's really about humanizing the experience. And if you can put a smile on somebody's face, you are off to a great start. Immersive is about creating experiences that people feel in their bones, that it usually appeal to one of the five senses or that appeal to somebody's emotions. Because if we can hit them in the, in the right kinds of emotions, we become way more memorable. You know, I always joke the quickest way to somebody's heart is through their kids or their pets, right? So if we can have an experience that engages their kids or their pets, oh man, you've hit them in the heart and now they are with you, right? They're, they're, they're attuned to you and they're connected. Shareable is about creating experiences that have some intention behind them where we want the result to be that the customer talks about us generally on social media. This doesn't happen by accident and it doesn't happen just because we ask people. So it's not about, hey, follow us on Instagram and use our hashtag and don't forget to tag us. 
it's about creating experiences where we know that people won't be able to help themselves. And you have had this experience. Everybody's had this experience where we're something's happening to us and we reach into our pocket or our purse and we pull this thing out because we just have to capture it. We have to take a picture or a video to remember it and generally to share it with somebody. Could be social media, could just be friends, family, coworkers. But that moment is what we're trying to capture with shareable. How do we create that moment where, again, we know people are going to do it because it's such an obvious moment to take a picture of? Finally, we have extraordinary, and this gets back to the fact that nobody shares ordinary experiences. Extraordinary simply means a little bit better than ordinary. It doesn't mean miles above uh, above ordinary. It can just be a little bit better because that's going to stand out. So it's looking for places in your organization where you're doing a fine job, you're doing a decent job, but bumping it up a notch. One of my favorite examples from the book there has to do with uh, me taking my son out to a, a fancy steak restaurant for his birthday. And when they came out with the dessert afterwards, and it was complimentary because it was his birthday, instead of sort of your typical slice of cake and a candle, they came out with this beautiful box of chocolates and it had a sparkler. And it got me thinking about how a sparkler is not any more expensive than a candle. It's not any more operationally complex than a candle. It doesn't require any more technology than a candle. It's just better than a candle because it's different. And when you take a picture of a sparkler, especially with the high-tech phones that we have, you capture individual sparks in the picture and it becomes Instagram-worthy immediately. And so what I saw at the table I was sitting at and also at other tables that were celebrating birthdays is nobody had to tell us to take out our phones. We get this glorious dessert that shows up at the table and what do people do? They pull out their phones. And I like to joke that in this particular case, the two adults share their photo to Facebook because that's what we adults do. And the two kids share their photo to Snapchat because that's what the kids do. And one dessert creates four public shares on social media. It's brilliant, right? It didn't cost any more. It just was daring to be different. It was basically saying, okay, every other restaurant is giving away slices of cake and candles for birthdays. Why don't we do something different? And so this can also be looked at as a metaphor for your business, assuming that you're not in the restaurant business. You have a place in your business where you're doing a candle, you're doing a nice thing for a customer, but you're probably doing it because your competitors do it or because you saw it somewhere else. It's a copycat. If we can take that candle metaphorically and turn it into a sparkler, which is just better, but not necessarily more expensive, uh, we can stand out from the crowd. So if you use the wise methodology, you will, you will start creating experiences that people want to talk about. And this gets back to that intersection of customer experience and marketing. If the holy grail is word of mouth, we gotta, as, uh, as the song goes, we gotta give them something to talk about. I do love that metaphor, actually, from uh, stop being a candle and start being a sparkler. I think there's definitely something in that. Um, just out of interest with this model, is it one where you have to start in one place and then sort of like methodically work through? Or is it sort of like an interchangeable process? No, you can use all four of these concepts in different parts of your experience. Or you could just focus on on one or two of them if the others don't appeal to you. Um, that's what I love about it. And if we go back to this idea that customer experience is a series of little things, we can really start anywhere in the customer journey. There's so many places to look. Uh, let's say that you're a software company. You might start with the sales process because 
if we can get more customers loving their salesperson, then we're going to get more customers coming to join us. Uh, we also know that in the B2B space that oftentimes we uh, we have a, a sloppy handoff between the salesperson and, say, the customer success team, right? So we might focus on making that handoff, that part of the experience, a little bit more immersive or a little bit extraordinary, uh, different from what other companies do. Uh, if you're a B2C company, you might start to focus on things like packaging um, or, you know, that there's a lot of companies now, with a, especially with the subscription services, that are having fun with their external boxes, right? They're printing the boxes anyway, so why not throw a couple of jokes on there or, so, or throw something on there that makes people smile? Uh, maybe it's an instruction booklet. Again, we get back to this anytime we're communicating, there's an opportunity to create an experience. So I don't think you have to start anywhere and end anywhere. I think it becomes this cultural thing where we are we are customer centric in everything that we do fabulous dan we've covered some amazing ground today just in closing um would you mind sharing some best practices around how businesses can design the right digital experience to improve their customer experience yeah when it comes to digital uh i think there's a couple of things the first thing is i always advise to become a customer of your own business. So if you have a website or a mobile app, make sure that you are logging in as a customer, not as an administrator on the back end, because that's not what the customer sees, right? You got to do it exactly as if the customer were doing it, uh, because you're going to start to see things. Uh, quick example there, when I was uh, at one of the companies I worked at, I, I won't tell which one just to, to protect the guilty. Uh, when you logged into the website, the first thing that happened is there was a pop-up ad. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like pop-up ads. In fact, I've never met anybody that likes pop-up ads. And so I wanted to remove it. And I talked to the marketing department and they said, well, that's our best performing ad. And I said, really, how well is it performing? And they said, well, we get a 6% click-through rate. Normally, you know, we get 2 or 3%. I said, all right, I agree that a 6% click-through rate is really good. The problem is that means that we annoyed 94% of the people because only 6% clicked through. And I don't think that's a worthy trade-off because if 94% of the people get a little paper cut every time they log in, then again, those death by a thousand paper cuts, eventually that adds up. So little things like that make a huge difference for people. You can make up that marketing revenue somewhere else without annoying people. Uh, so become a customer because when you log in and you get hit with a pop-up ad, it's going to annoy you and you can bet it's going to be annoying the customer. Uh, try things like forgetting your password. I have not met a company yet that know, that has created a good experience when you forget your password. It's terrible. So somebody fix it, make it better, right? Because we all are annoyed by it. So I think that's um, absolutely one of the things. The other thing that is uh, that is crucial is usability testing. And I, we don't have enough time to get into the detail here, but basically if you know anything about user experience, Usability testing is when you build something new and you put it in front of actual customers or, or uh, prospects and you, uh, it's a process. It's kind of like a focus group. You usually have a moderator and you ask them questions like, for example, um, if you logged in, uh, we'd like you to log into the website and see if you can find your most recent purchases. And as you're doing this, we want you to talk out loud about what's going through your head. 
And so when you do this, it's absolutely fascinating. You start to see people say, well, if I were looking for my transactions, I think I would go up here to this menu item. And then they would look and they won't find their transactions. They say, oh, no, 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 that's not right. So maybe I'll try over here. And you'll watch them start to struggle. And it becomes like painful because you're like, no, it's right over there. Except you can't tell the customer that because you're not with them all the time. But those little usability tests will be so informative into how people actually use your site or your your um, a mobile app. Uh, and, and that's different from getting feedback from surveys because it's actually watching people. The last piece, though, is listen to your customers and collect feedback at every point that you can. Um, I am a big fan of uh, passive feedback as well, which means you have a mechanism on your website and your mobile app where people can send you feedback anytime they want on any page whenever they experience something. Uh, and again, you will find that when you allow people to do that, they're going to communicate with you and they're going to tell you what is working and what is not. When you listen to that, you can make great changes. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Hope we get a chance to do it again sometime. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.